When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. Hockey. Yeah. Yeah. My favorite. It's Judd's Hockey Show. And welcome into another episode of Judd's Hockey Show. Declan Goff is um, off drinking somewhere this week, and so A.J. Fredrickson, a big hockey fan himself, steps into the producer role. We appreciate that. And also joining us, my good friend, longtime hockey scribe, He's at the rink live now and a forum news. You can find him on Twitter, Puck Myers, M-Y-E-R-S. At, um, is that correct? Jess Myers? Puck at, Myers? At Jess, at Jess R. Myers. If you're at Jess R. Myers. Okay. Uh, Jess joins us. He covers Gopher Hockey. He also um, pays very close attention to the entire hockey scene in the state. And Jess, I do want to get to what the Gophers did uh, in South Bend in winning the Big Ten Tournament. Uh, but I want to start with the local National Hockey League franchise to get your thoughts. And I'm just going to give you one name to start with, and you can go from there. Uh, because it is a revelation to see this guy play on a consistent basis. You know what's coming, <laughs> Kirill Kaprizov. You know, I like what you wrote, and and uh, I'll give a plug to uh, to Score North through the website. Uh, this is their first legitimate superstar. You know, we we like to think that uh, Marion Gabrick was a superstar, he was a really good player when he was healthy. He never reached superstar level, and let's face it, he was a, a, a show horse on a team full of plow horses during his time in Minnesota. Kirill Kaprizov, you have their first legitimate guy that you could put up against, you know, the top 10 eye-popping forwards in the NHL, and that's something they've never had. Uh, it's fun to see that. It really is. You know, and, and I was in Chicago recently traveling to and from South Bend. You see all this Blackhawk stuff all around there. And, you know, they haven't been good in five years or so, but they've got a legacy, a recent legacy. And it's like, we don't have that. And maybe, maybe we can build that uh, around a guy like this. Here's my comparison. So Kaprizov special. He is without question in my mind, an emerging superstar. The comparison that I make the most is I see Patrick Kane. I see the ability to be because he's a hybrid. He's listed as a wing, but he has the instincts and the passing ability and, and the Gretzky and like ability to see the play unfold right before it does. Um, and it reminds me of Patrick Kane's game, because if you watch Kane, the talent goes far beyond just the ability to score goals. It's the ability to make plays for himself and for his teammates. So I guess that is my first comparison so far in watching a lot of Kaprizov is the Patrick Kane game to me seems to translate to what he does. I I will say this because, you know, in my world, everything relates to college hockey. 
how happy do you have to be for Nick Bugstead right now? You know, a guy who had bounced around the NHL. He'd been in, in Florida, so that's like hockey's version of the witness relocation program, uh, playing for the Panthers. He'd been in Pittsburgh on, on some good teams, but he hadn't uh, really been healthy that whole time. Right. He got an opportunity to come home and, not you know, not only come home, he's healthy, he's, he's living, you know, close to family and all of that, but then he gets put on a line with Zuccarello and Kaprizov, and, and they put him at center between those two guys. How nice must life be for Nick Bugestad right now? Yeah, except he's been replaced now by by Victor Rask, who I said should get down on his knees every morning and thank a higher power. I mean, Victor Rask, look, he's not as bad as he was when he got here. He certainly can't skate well. Um, all of that being said, though, to your point, anybody who gets to play with Kaprizov and Zuccarello, is the most fortunate person on the face of the earth. I'm not saying that they can be bad hockey players, but I am saying this. Look at the ability of both those wingers to facilitate, right? Like they're not one-dimensional, right. I got to get the puck from you and then I can make a play or then I can shoot. They are the, the chemistry. Okay, I'm going to make a statement here that's really not a bold statement, but it just goes back a, a long, long way. The Zuccarello Kaprizov chemistry, National Hockey League in the state of Minnesota wise, Jess Myers, is the best chemistry I have seen, I think, since something along the lines of Broughton, Cicerelli, McCarthy. The chemistry and, and that, it's unbelievable. Yeah, and that and that can't be understated. You know, finding guys who like to play with one another, who who like to get each other the puck, who like to feed off one another. You know, you You've seen that in spurts with Zach Parisi. You've seen guys that he likes to play with. It just doesn't seem to be sustainable with him. And, you know, you, you kind of wonder at this point, you know, this has been Zach Parisi's team for a long time, and it, you, you really see the changing of the guard. And you talk about what's happened with Bill Guerin and what he's done is, you know, he came in with no preconceived notions about what this team was supposed to be. There were no legacy appointments uh, for for. Bill Guerin, uh, you know, Devin Dubnik was the, the guy that saved their bacon five years ago. So what? Time to go. You know, uh, you're seeing stuff like that. You're seeing a maybe kind of good impatience, too, with, with some of the young guys, you know, with with Luke Cunning. You know, is is he going to make that jump? Is he going to make that jump? Well, you know what? We're not going to wait around. We're going to get something for him. We're going to move him out of here. You know, how long did we wait for Mikhail Granlund? And it just it was obvious it was never going to happen, but it seemed like there was this legacy system in place uh, previously, and we've gotten rid of that. This is a whole new franchise. I mean, you know, everything's weird in 2020, 2021. There's no fans. You know, we're, we're maybe going to see 3,000 people in that building at some point. But um, there are no sacred cows under under the, the Bill Guerin system, and you're seeing the results of that. So off that point, which is a spectacular point, it's exactly right. Jess, let's back up to where I think I think now, in retrospect, hindsight, whatever words you choose to use, I think I know where the problem started, and I and it took until Fenton started it, and and personnel wise, Paul did some good things. Now he was not a people person, and he didn't get along with folks, and got fired after a year. But Garrett has continued it in a spectacular fashion. But you know what, Jess? I think the problems to back up now started. Um, when when Fletcher, when Chuck Fletcher's GM hired Mike Yo to coach what he thought was going to be sort of a young up and coming team, fun fun yep. young, yep. And, and then on July fourth, two thousand twelve, they go sign Parisian Suter, and Yo's the coach, 
And I think Yo's like, hold on a second here. I thought I was going to coach this young team, and now I'm coaching two guys who are who are veterans who are going to come in with very much preconceived notions that they can have say in what we do and what I do as far as coaching goes, who are going to have uh, good or bad, and at that time we didn't know, a major impact in the room on these young players. And I think really now, and that team was a non-playoff team, and those moves made them a playoff team and got fans back in the building. So I'm not even saying it was a terrible move. But what I am saying is, I think the collision course of Yo expecting one thing and getting another, and the veterans coming in and basically saying, no, this is our team and our room at the time, which it very much was, sort of sent things awry and sent us on the course of, you're going to make the playoffs a lot, but you are not going to, I think it was six consecutive years, make the playoffs four first-round exits, two second-round ones, and that's where there was a disconnect, and I think it sort of started to crumble as what we thought was going to be the long play, which on the, on July 4th, 2012, we thought the long play would be Stanley Cups. Keep this in mind. Six trips to the playoffs. We like to talk about that stat. Mm-hmm. Two wins beyond the first round. Two. Mm-hmm. In six years. You know, it's not quite Minnesota Twins futility in the postseason, but it's it's pretty close, uh, you know, to to get to the first round. I mean, the Timberwolves had a run like that for a while. Remember that they were a first round team every year and then did absolutely nothing. But, uh, hey, we made the playoffs. Rah, rah, you know, get everybody excited. Get 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 this year's playoff towel. You know, it'll be good for about three games. You know, whatever. Have fun with that. Two things on the coaching situation, though. And this going back to the hiring of Mike Yoke. The, the theory is in coaching that you always hire the opposite of what you had before. You know, you fire Glenn Mason if you go for football, the, the suit and tie guy, the business like guy, and you go out and you get rah-rah Tim Brewster. Yep. You know, you fire him and you get uh, aw shucks uh, guy in, uh, in Derry Kill. You know, it, it seems like you always get the opposite of what you had before. They had the young up-and-coming coach in Todd Richards. You know, he wasn't ready for the job. He, he wasn't there at that point in his career. Who knows if he is now? He's had a nice run as an assistant coach. They went out and hired the same guy in Mike Yo. And the theory was he had coached all those young guys in Houston. They all knew him. They all trusted him. They'd done really well at the AHL level. So you're right. He was going to build around all those young guys. Now, if you're Mike Yo, if you're Bruce Boudreau, I don't care what your name is as a coach. If somebody says in 2012, do you want Zach Parisi and Ryan Suter on your team? You know, fire him immediately if he says, no, I want to build around the young guys. You know, you had to take that chance. And when you had that idea that those two guys wanted to come together as a package and play in Minnesota, you had to make that move. Now, I've mentioned this before, though. Here is the great disappointment to me in the Parisi Suter acquisition and era. It's not going to the playoffs six years in a row and, and winning two games in the second round. Here's the disappointment. I will never forget this from the opening press conference with those two. And that was like, you know, hockey party in July in St. Paul. The lobby of the building is packed. Every media outlet in the state is there. It's a huge, huge deal. And one thing that both Parisi and Suter insinuated at that point was, as far as free agency goes, this is the beginning. You know, we're the first two, but we're here now. We're going to recruit you know, the next wave of free agents. We're going to make Minnesota the hot free agent destination where everybody wants to go. We're going to let everybody know you want to raise your family here. You want to play in this market because it's hockey culture, but it's not insane hockey culture like Canada. You know, you can still go to Cub and get a loaf of bread without, you know, having to sign 50 autographs. You're a member of the Minnesota Wild. That never happened. 
Okay. Yeah. Name name me the next big free agent that came here because they said, I want to play in that market. I want to play with Parisian Suter. You know, it just never materialized. That was the great hope, was not only what those two would do on the ice, but what they could do in terms of making Minnesota a destination. And, you know, lo and behold, uh, almost 10 years later, where does everybody want to play? They all want to go to Vegas for some reason. That's that's the hot place to play now. I, I don't get it. Which part don't, don't you get? The the <laughs> nightlife, the no state income taxes, the fact that it's beautiful all year round. Which one, which part don't you get? But you're right about that. I mean, that's a, all right. That, all right. That, fine, yeah. You are exactly right. I mean, they did say that we are going to. I, I mean, that press conference was as close as this state will ever get to a LeBron James joining the Heat press conference. You know, Absolutely. not one, Absolutely. not two, not three. Um, and yeah, we all thought, oh, my God. <laughs> At the time, we thought two things. One is the cap is going to keep going up, which didn't really prove to be as true as we thought that day. And two is they're going to get a ton of people and their buddies are going to come play here. But you know what? So here's the interesting dichotomy of the entire situation to come full circle now. Uh, And I give Bill Guerin credit here and I give Fenton credit here, but it, it is incredible that it took so long to recognize, okay? So at some point in time, going to the playoffs during that six-year run should have become not enough. Like, at some point in time, Chuck should have said, you know what? This just doesn't feel like it's working. Because, Jess, you know this, too. I mean, this does not take a genius. Anybody who went in that locker room after about three or four years could see it wasn't very good. Like, you just you had too many different factions. And yo, on his way out the door, I, I looked this up again last night because— I was writing something for scorenorth.com. Yo on his way out the door said we had younger players and older players sort of doing their own thing in their own factions. So what's interesting about that is it took Fletcher being fired. It took um, Yo being fired. Uh, Torchetti not being kept around. Boudreaux being fired. Fenton c- coming in and for his own reasons was fired and replaced by Garen. But Garen was finally the one who, after the bubble last year, and, you know, there had been changes by this time had been started to be made. But Garen's the one that, after the bubble, said two things. One, at his end-of-season presser, after the Wild lost to the Canucks, he said, our goaltending is not acceptable, and he was right about that. And the second thing is he, he went on Russo's podcast and gave a really interesting answer about the culture of this team and it's no one thing; it's a lot of things. But we ba- and we've got people that are good at what they do, but they're not the right people. And where I give Bill Guerin credit is he said those things, and then he moved on all of them. And and he has and look, there is one thing that has happened this year, and it was a big deal. But in my opinion, it's a huge deal because it speaks volumes to how things have changed here. When Dean Evason is either told to or given the ability in a joint decision to make Zach Parisi a healthy scratch as punishment for a game, That that is what I think a lot of us were, and it's not just a Zach thing, but that's what a lot of us were pining for as far as delegation of allowing, allowing a coach to have control. Because can you imagine if Yo had tried that, Jess, or oh, if goodness. Boudreaux had? I mean, I don't think Bruce could have done that. Um, that's how far what? this team has come. Mike Yo healthy scratched Thomas Vanek, and they fired him a week later. I mean, and and you know, I like Thomas Vanek, but at that point, a healthy scratch was the right thing to do with him to kind of to kind of jumpstart him. And there was some real bitterness and anger there. Judd, I don't know if you knew this about the Minnesota hockey community, but 
people are a tiny bit provincial here. I, 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 don't, I don't know if, if that was, you know, if that's on the radar of most people. But Minnesota hockey people, you know, it's, it's the state of hockey. And Minnesota hockey people generally like to have this idea that the game was invented here and, and we do it better than anybody. John now, Gilbert, I thought, I, I thought John started hockey. Hold on a second. Gil, Gilbert didn't invent hockey? <laughs> I'm out. This you, you know done. the story, and I may have heard the story from you, but the, the, the saying around the Star Tribune was John Gilbert didn't invent hockey, but he was in the room when Herb Brooks invented it, <laughs> and, and he advised him on it. That, that, that was the idea behind it. And John Gilbert is a friend of mine. This is yeah, not a I love criticism John. of him. You know, he's been a mentor in my career, and he knows more about the game than any writer that, that I probably have ever known. But getting back to the original point, and we could debate the numbers forever about, you know, where hockey, you know, is is home. Minnesota makes a strong case with that. You know, we have a state tournament, we have college hockey, and, you know, a, a lot of the things that other states don't have, and we produce more players than you know, than a lot of other states do. With that in mind, okay, the average Minnesota Wild fan thinks this way. If the choice is between Jared Spurgeon and, let's say, Keith Ballard, because they were coming up at right about the same time, they're going to choose a Keith Ballard every time. They're going to choose a Paul Martin every time. You know, who's the guy with the local ties? Who's the guy that we watched play in the state tournament? That seems to kind of be the way here. Yeah. Now, with that in mind, Bill Guerin came in and said, okay, our goalies from South St. Paul, our goalie coaches of International Falls slash UMD, both of them, they're not good enough. You're gone, both of you. I mean, that to me shows what you need to do to be the GM of this job successfully. And that is not saying get rid of all the Minnesota players because there are some great Minnesota players in this system and there are some great Minnesota players on this team. But there aren't sacred cows, again, with, with Bill Guerin. I, you know, I, I don't care if you're from Edina and you scored 16 goals in the state hockey tournament, which, which you know, Kyle Ra almost fits that. He's from Eden Prairie. You know, he's part of this team. He's, he's in the system. Yeah. But there's not this pressure that, you know, let's – Let's get the fans interested by having the Minnesota guys as part of the team. It's like, if they fit, we'll use them. If they don't, we won't. Nick Bukestad, again, is a perfect example of that. Here's a big body that can help them at center. Let's bring him in. We can get him on the cheap because he's been injured. You know, he he didn't cost them a lot. You know, the fact that he's from Blaine and he won Mr. Hockey is just a bonus. They're just aren't those sacred cows in this system. And I think you're seeing the results. I mean, uh, hey, if, if you'd rather watch uh, Nick Letty hoist the Stanley Cup in Minnesota or in Chicago, you know, just just because he's a local guy, you want him here. You don't you don't care that he's a local guy if he plays somewhere else. Yep. And uh, to, to your point, too, we also uh, tend to fall in love with guys. You know, Dubnik's a perfect example. And Dubnik came in when Chuck got, got him. I mean, he single-handedly dragged this team to the playoffs. So that's great. But by last yes. year, but by last year, when when he, he would stop a rink wide pass and they doobs, I wanted to puke because I mean that's not what this is about. <laughs> that's not what this is about. And, and I'll tell you what too. And this is where Garen cleared out things, and it shouldn't have taken so long. Eric Stahl, okay, nice player, and he again signed a free agent contract a few years back and came here, and I think he scored forty goals. I mean, it was a great season. But Eric Stahl yep. bought a place in Edina and and built a rink like a lot of Minnesota hockey dads do for his kids, which is great. And then as far as I'm concerned, he retired while still playing. Like, he's like, well, I'm just going to spend the rest of my career here. No, that's not how this league works. That's not how this <laughs> league me, I, I think Mika Koivu was amazed when Billy said, you're not coming back. It's just, it's time. Um, I love the fact, and this guy's been good, and I think that this is part and parcel. 
Jordan Greenway was called in after the bubble by Garen, and from what I was told, was basically told, sat down and told two things here. One, I don't want to trade you, but you have to start playing hard and producing every night. And that doesn't necessarily even mean points. It means you're a big body. You've got the ability to be everything that Charlie Coyle didn't turn out to be, but you're turning into Coyle. And then what I loved was he looked around and said, who are Greenway's buddies? Luke Cunning, big buddy, right? Bang, gone. Yep. And who's produced now? Because that's how hockey players work. So it shouldn't have taken this long, but I do applaud Garen for realizing, understanding, and then pulling the trigger on some moves that nobody else here had made and then empowering the coach, which also clearly hadn't happened until now. And side note to that, by the way, because you brought it up, if you want to retire and yet keep playing in the NHL, we have the Arizona Coyotes. That's always an option. That's where guys go if they don't really want to play anymore, but they want to keep getting a paycheck. You know, and, and I think of a former gopher that I won't name in, in, in that. Uh, but, but that's enough said there. Does he wear 81? Uh, maybe. Uh, d- maybe. Did he veto a trade to the Wild? Uh, from Pittsburgh for Jason Zucker, which, by the way, is one of the biggest breaks that the Wild got when Kessel put the kibosh on the trade here and said, I don't think so. Can you imagine Phil Kessel in that room? I'm sorry. Don't think it would have been good. Instead, you you got a first-round draft pick coming to you for Zucker and, and Kalen Addison, who's a nice young defenseman who I think is probably going to take the Dumbo role next year. That's one of the great breaks is that Phil Kessel said no. Okay, and since we're on that topic, speaking of guys that can or cannot veto trades, okay? Yes. Let's let's have some reckless speculation here. Oh, I love it. Islanders just lost Anders Lee for the season. Yes. They're key cogs on offense. Now, we all know the story that last year at the trade deadline, they were very close to trading Zach Parisi to the New York Islanders if he would have accepted that trade. He played in the New York area. He knows the area. Apparently, he rejected the trade, but, you know, they strongly considered it. The Islanders need a player now. Is uh, is Zach Parisi back? You know, in the trade conversation on, uh, on, on reckless speculation. Reckless speculation. I'm glad you brought this up. Now, I believe the Parisiak from what I heard, Jess. I believe Parisi actually <laughs> signed off and accepted the trade, and Lou Lamarillo, the GM for the Islanders, said no. Something happened. It leaked out, and I don't know if Lou was PO'd or what. But anyway, here's my question back to you. Number one, if I could make that trade, heartbeat, I make that trade. But I've watched. Only if you can get Cal Clutterbuck back. That's, that's I don't know. I don't want the fake hustle guy back. I don't want, I don't want the hits leader. The hits. He runs guys on purpose just to get the hit. Um, but, Jess, I've watched, I think, almost every wild game this season and been at most of the home games. And I will say this. Do you remember when we came back from the lockout in 2005 and six? And the only good thing about the lost year was the Shanahan rules in place that sped the game up. I mean, the game before the lockout had become damn near unwatchable. Those first few years were awful hockey. And it came back, and it was actually, it had been opened up. The red line was gone. It had turned into a pretty good game. Now now I think it's great. Um, But if you recall, there was a crop of older veterans who came back to play. Ron Francis, I want to say, maybe Messier. And within about a month and a half or two months, they all said, I'm good. I'm retiring. I can't keep up. And they literally just couldn't keep up. 
Um, flat out. And Zach still works his butt off. So this is not like a torching of Zach Parisi. But flat out, when I watch him, Jess, he can't keep up. And I don't know if something's actively wrong and he's hurt and they're not talking about it or if he's just, I mean, he's a 37-year-old guy who has played a hard game his entire career and his body might just be cooked. Uh, My point being is if I'm a team talking to the Wild, I don't know that I want Zach and I don't know how much he has left to give. Uh, He's a real interesting crossroads because I don't expect him to forfeit the final four years of his contract. But I also don't know if he can keep playing much beyond this. You know, I love that you brought that up, those guys that, you know, I'm going to give it one more go. And then like, uh, you know, three weeks in are like, no, no, not going to work for me. Uh, Brett Hull is a member of the then Phoenix Coyotes. I think he lasted about two weeks. Uh, Chris Chelios with the Atlanta Thrashers, still my favorite. Oh, you got him. Okay, this is great. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and then you got to put Mike Madonna in that category. Granted, he couldn't stay healthy with the Red Wings, but he goes to the Red Wings again. Suburban Detroit kid, big homecoming. He finally gets to wear the winged wheel. And man, I think he played about twelve games that year. Oh, Babcock like, screwed him. Babcock absolutely yeah. screwed him. But, but so, so yeah, you're yeah, right. What about Zach? On the Zach uh, topic, if you can put him in a role where he can stay down low around the goal line, the side of the net where he likes to do that wraparound, you know, take the abuse, all that. I think he can still be an effective player. He's not going to not gonna run your breakout. He's, he's just, he can't be in that role anymore because I, I think you're right. I think he's lost the speed and the hustle. And nobody, you're, you said it, nobody works harder than him. Absolutely yeah. not. I mean, during during the lockout, and frankly, I can't remember which one because we have them. What about every three years? You know, it's 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 kind of like a, a lunar eclipse. They come along about that often under Gary Bettman. But during one of the lockouts, you know, guys were at St. Louis Park Ice Arena every day. They were working out on their own. You know, they were they were pitching in there, renting the ice time, and there were twenty thirty NHL guys there just scrimmaging and working out. I went over a few of those, and and this is you know a couple years ago, obviously, but. Practice got done. Everybody's gone. You know, I talked to a few guys and I look and there's Parisi by himself for another 40 minutes at least doing blue line to blue line, doing curls around the net. I mean, he's one of those just tireless workers. But, you know, we we talked about it off air. I think, you know, you're 51. I'm 51. Stuff starts to not work as well after a while. Um, And I think that's where he is right now. Can he give you a spark? Maybe. Or is he, you know, going to the Islanders? Is he adding Martin Hansel to the to the Wild? Remember how well that worked out. I think he had that that one playoff goal that we still talk about. I think you're exactly right, and I I just don't know because this team is good. I mean, the Wild could use him if he could contribute, and and I mean, he could stick around as a third line guy, which he he is now, and descend to a fourth line guy. But there's a lot of pride there too, and this guy. I mean, he is never, he was never blessed with the God given ability that Kaprizov has, but he had ability and he combined that with a willingness to go in the corners and go in front of the net and work his butt off. But he's 37 now and that is going to take its toll and clearly has. And I, but I, you know, if the Wild was bad, I'd say, okay, trade him and try to get him a last hurrah. But the Wild's not bad. They're actually a very nice team. They're, they're a good team. They lack. Uh, they lack a top center. They do lack some things. But, I mean, this is a playoff team for sure, and I wouldn't be shocked if they won a round, um, especially if the goaltending continues to play as well. So Parisi on this team actually should fit. But, Jess, you know, this game is now at a point where if you can't keep up, you can't keep up. 
And it's one thing to be Victor Rask and sort of be, okay, I can't really keep up, but I can fake it. It's another to be Zach Parisi, 13-year, $98 million man, and flat-out look, and Kevin Fiala is, you know, you, you started at the same point in the defensive zone, and Kevin Fiala's three steps clear of you because you just can't keep up with Kevin Fiala. From my experience, and, and I've never done any of these things, but the, the three worst things you can do to your own human body, in, in order, number one, smoking, and I've never been a smoker, thankfully. Number two, playing defense in the National Hockey League because, oh, my goodness, do you get beat up. And number three would be playing that top of the crease role in the National Hockey League. You know, the the uh, the rat terrier role that they like to say, the guy that just cannot be moved from the top of the crease. Mm-hmm. Zach has played that role very, very well. But again, at 38, do you want to play that role much longer? The guy who's, you know, blocking shots or or, or tipping shots or trying to get out of the way when when uh, – you know, there, there's a slap shot coming from the blue line. The guy who's taking a cross check to the back every shift when when you're posted up in that position, mm-hmm. that has got to just wear on you after a while. Second thing, sir. So we we have both of us through the years have been big fans of Gary Bettman, NHL commissioner extraordinaire, done a great job. Actually, compared to Rob Manfred, looks like Einstein. Um, but is it not about time? And I am happy. Is it not about time that the National Hockey League returns to the biggest sports network in the United States? I think the move, um, and, and I know it's going to be a A package and a B package, and we don't know who's going to get the B package yet, but I think the move back to ESPN finally, I mean, for a, for a league that once went to Outdoor Life Network as a cash grab, um, as far as spreading the word and getting eyeballs, this is a very solid move. And I always said they should have found a way because not only of games, but ancillary programming to maintain a relationship with ESPN, but at least they're going back to it. I, uh, I just had to d- drop my carrier cause they didn't have sports channel America. So I didn't know where I was going to find the games. Uh, you know, oh, we, you, oh, the stories about, we could tell Jess, you, t- you talk about just boneheaded broadcasting moves over the years. And, you know, that's gotta be one John Ziegler in, in one of his final acts, spurning, spurning ESPN for sports channel America's cause they offered, you know, a hundred thousand more or something <laughs> ridiculous like that. You know, you, you couldn't find the games anywhere. And, you know, Oh my goodness. You know, Norm Green putting games on pay-per-view. I was just going to bring that up. I mean, you know, you, you think of you think of the work it has required to watch NHL hockey over the years. It's amazing that the league has done as well as it has. And, you know, it's paled in comparison rating-wise to a lot of other sports. You know, and then back when it was on ESPN, you got the, the hockey diehards who complained about, you know, overtime goal goes in. That's it. That's the final. We'll see you. Sports Center is next. You know, no post game, no, no half hour show. It's like, take what you can get. If it's on TV, my goodness, you've got all these other, you know, a, a hundred different podcasts like this one where you can get post game analysis. Yes. If it's on, if it's on ESPN, we'll take it. Even if it's on the deuce, like back when it was all young and hip with, uh, with Keith Olbermann wearing a leather jacket on set. Susie Colbert. Too, by the way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh yeah. Oh stream those again. That would be those were the greatest <laughs> ever. But yeah, I mean greatest op- greatest opening line ever by the way. The first Oberman. ever yes two show when when Oberman comes out in the leather jacket with the slick hair because they're going for that young demographic and his opening line is welcome to the end of our careers. <laughs> it was him and Susie Colbert. But then <laughs> but then you're right. ESPN2 was the first like big home 
of hockey. They had like a hockey game a night because they're desperate for pro- programming, and they had some college basketball too. But yeah, they um nineteen nineteen nine was it spring of nineteen ninety or spring of nineteen ninety one? I think it was spring of nineteen ninety. Uh, we lived in Roseville, and I no ninety one. The year the North Stars went to the Stanley Cup Finals, whoever my cable provider was back then, Jess, I had to actually pay for a special package to get the entire playoffs and North Star games. So, like, Sports Channel America wasn't on my provider, but they, like, negotiated a deal to pick it up for the playoffs. So I was paying two separate fees to get hockey. So you are right. This league has made it as difficult to watch its product, and the, the jump to OLN is my favorite of all time. Bettman trying to say, because it was nothing but a cash grab, and Bettman trying to tell us this is what's best for the league. It's like, Gary, you're so full of crap, it's unbelievable. <laughs> you know, that was, uh, you think about that 91 playoff run. That that was one of the great moments, of the, one of the great Roycey columns, when he ter- coined the term Norm Greed. Yes. Not Norm Greed, Norm Greed, because remember, everything was sold out. All the home games were sold out. And still, Norm was putting them on pay-per-view just to get that extra, you know, couple hundred thousand bucks. But, you know, when you already cannot get a ticket to see the games, but you also have to pay for it just to watch it on TV. I mean, think think about that when, you know, your team is in the finals. And unless you know a guy with a pirated box on the top of his TV, like I did, I had a buddy in Eden Prairie that I could go out and watch the game. And, oh, so and you found a way. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we, there, there was always a workaround back in those days, and there probably is now if you if you have the right software downloaded or something like that. But uh, no, you know they they they've cracked down on all that stuff. So yeah, uh, just just crazy to think you know uh, how and you know and we've seen this. It's it's not just Minnesota. It's not just the NHL. I mean, remember the Chicago Blackhawks for years under Bill Wirtz, they didn't televise their home games. Yeah, you know. He, Theory was if people can watch the games on TV, they won't buy a ticket and come to the game. Yeah. Well, if you've been to that part of Chicago, you're not going to risk your life every night of the, you know, they have a home game anyway. But, you know, that was just an accepted thing that one of your original six franchises did not have home games on TV. And it literally took Bill Wirtz dying. I was going to say he had to die. Yes. Yeah. But, but well, you know what, once, Jess? Once it- Cal. This is the this was the old school old, people that own teams as their endeavor, right? Calvin yep. with the Twins, same thing. The old school uh, from the forties into you know TV becoming the Norman households in the fifties to, to, to the sixties. The old school owners all thought I can't show home games because people won't go. And I want to say when I started to watch the Twins in seventy eight. I think there was like, I don't know, 25 to 30 games aired. If they aired a game from Met Stadium, it was a treat, and it might have been like three games. It was a big deal. So, yeah. Howard Ballard, uh, Ballard with the Maple Leafs. Howard Ballard, Harold Ballard, who owned the Maple Harold Leafs. Harold Ballard, for- yes. Same deal, you know. And and Ballard, to his credit, was the first owner to figure out, hey, all my games are sold out anyway. I don't need to go out and get any high priced talent. It doesn't matter if we win. It's Toronto. People are going to buy hockey tickets. They, you know, I, I don't need to work that hard. And, and frankly, we had that here in about 2005, you know, when there was that free agent frenzy and the wild went out and got Brian Rolston and nobody else. Yeah. There was honestly this theory that, you know what, we're selling out every game. We can't keep merchandise on the shelves. You know, we don't need to bust our humps to to try and get to the third round of the playoffs because we're in Minnesota. Now, every owner likes to win, but there wasn't that 
pressure that you have to build a winning team that people will get interested in that you may have in Nashville or in Vegas or in Los Angeles or these non-traditional hockey areas. You're exactly Again, right. you're, you're at a disadvantage being the state of hockey. Okay, so, yeah. yes. <laughs> NCAA Men's Ice Hockey Selection Show, if I'm not mistaken, 6 p.m. Sunday ESPNU. Is that correct? Correct. What's your expectation for where the Gophers are going to be seated, where they're going to go, and how impressed were, were you by the uh, by the cardiac kid nature comeback of the first two <laughs> games and then the game against the Badgers, which I believe I, because I was at the Wild game, I believe that I turned it off my computer at 5-1, to one, and the next time I saw the score, it was 5-4, to four, and they won, what, 6-4? to four. In they won six end. to four on an empty net goal. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So okay. Go. A couple things that I learned. I made the trip to South Bend, and and by the way, I call it South Bend. Yes, I know the arena's on campus, and they insist it is Notre Dame, Indiana. No, I'm in South Bend. Oh, are I'm you serious? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Across the one across the street, it's officially the city of Notre Dame. Much like when you go to Penn State, you are in University Park, Pennsylvania. No, you're not. You're in State College. Knock it off. Do you know? Do you know to that point? That in Green Bay, they rezoned Lambeau Field to put it in Green Bay when it's really in the city of Ashwaubenon. They literally took the chunk that is Lambeau Field and said, that's Green Bay. Everything else, Ashwaubenon. Listen, people, Notre Dame's in South Bend, and the Packers aren't really in Green Bay. I loved when they used to list, like, by the way, the NFL training camp sites back when people used to go somewhere else for training camp. You know, they would say Minnesota Vikings, Mankato, Minnesota. And then they would say Green Bay Packers, Ashwaubenon, Wisconsin, literally across the street from their from their home stadium. But it was like, oh, no, we're going to Ashwaubenon. We're we're we're, we're moving off site. Yeah. So we're, we're BS. Anyway, <laughs> go first. Go ahead. So um, here's what we learned. Number one. The Gophers hadn't trailed by two goals at any point this season. That was and come back to win. That was a big stat because they got down by two goals against Michigan in the in the semifinal game. And you know, uh, the guys on TV are making a big deal. Minnesota has not come back from this much of a deficit all season. I pointed out the fact that I think maybe three times they had trailed by two goals. You know, this is a team that won twenty three games now. Um, you haven't trailed by two goals very often. You haven't trailed by one goal very often. Mm-hmm. So you know. This was a, a unique situation. They learned a lot being in a tournament setting where it's one and done because they hadn't played an overtime game this year. They got into the, the dreaded hot goalie game in the first game against Michigan State. Michigan State has nothing. You know, they, they average a goal and a half a game. I mean, they just were not a very deep, not a very, you know, dangerous hockey team, but they get an early power play goal and they're ahead of the Gophers one nothing, And the Gophers just pepper and pepper and pepper. Uh, I took a picture at the end of the second period because I was up on one end of the arena, the area in front of the Michigan State net looks like they had gotten seven inches of snow. There was so much traffic around their goalie in the second period, and the Gophers couldn't score. Finally, Bryce Brodzinski gets a goal in the third period. They go to overtime, and then in the overtime, you could see Michigan State was absolutely out of gas. You know, nothing left in the tank. The shots in the overtime are 10-3. to mm-hmm. You know, Gophers just peppering them. Finally, Sample Ranta does a Sample Ranta thing, which is score a goal like he seems to do in every game. So they win that game. You know, you say you survive a bad Michigan State team, but you learn from it. You learn how you have to dig down deep. You know, when you don't respect an opponent, things are going to go that way. So you learn from that one. Against Michigan, same deal. You give up, you give up a power play goal. You're down 2 nothing. 
going into the third period, everybody thinks, okay, the run ends here. We're going to have to see what two or three seed the Gophers are going to get. Again, you know, they get a couple of uncharacteristic bad goals given up by, by Strauss Mann. Nathan Burke, who's not a goal scorer, just, you know, one of those hardworking fourth line guys, he admits it. I'm not going for the five hole. I'm just throwing the puck on net. It goes in there. It's two to one. Then, you know, Ranta scores again because Ranta seems to score every game lately on on a not real good, you know, again, throw it at the net kind of play. It goes five hole, two, two, you go to overtime. And then, you know, Sammy Walker, not to be flippant, but he says, this is my easiest goal of the year in overtime because he happens to be in the right place at the right time. The goalie's down, comes right to him, and he can just flip it backhand, and they're going to the championship against Wisconsin. Now, here's what's interesting. They lost three out of four to Wisconsin in the regular season. That cost, that that earned Wisconsin the Big Ten title. Mm-hmm. You know, if Minnesota wins one of those three games, Minnesota is your Big Ten champions in the regular season. Wisconsin, to their credit, they come into to Minneapolis in February, they win four to one and eight to one. And you talk about kind of a changing of the guard moment. And, and that was the moment, you know, Bob Motzko says you get one weekend a year that you just forget about it. You burn the tape, you don't analyze it, you just throw it out. Well, they'd already had a weekend like that. They, they had lost a couple of home games to Notre Dame, a couple of close games. That was the weekend they decided to throw out. So now you don't have one to throw away. <laughs> okay. So you lose eight to one at home to Wisconsin in it just a, a you know, the low point of their season by far. And I said to Bob Motzko, do you throw this one out? And he says, oh, no, we're going to wear this one. This one you put right around your neck and you don't forget this one. And two days later, their Monday practice, I have it on good authority. Um, Bob Motzko has a job that Herb Brooks used to do. You know, and, and Bob Motzko is not afraid to stand at center ice with a whistle and blow it and say, again, again. Oh, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. And they, they, they felt that one. Uh, mm. and, and it was a message that, that kind of game is not acceptable. Since then, the Gophers are eight and one. So, you know, if that was the message, it worked. So they go to the championship game against Wisconsin. All the storylines about, about, you know, were the Gophers the better team in the regular season? Did they deserve the Big Ten title? That, you know, things were goofy because not everybody played the same number of games. So they went by winning percentage. They didn't go by points. So the Gophers lost two regular season games, and they wind up losing the regular season title by .002 percentage points to Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. It's that close. You go to the championship game. It's a chance for revenge against Wisconsin, but keep this in mind. Wisconsin's played one game because they're the top seed. The Gophers have already played two, and both of them went to overtime. So I was on a different radio program on Tuesday, and uh, the host, Corey Heppler on WCCO, asked me, what do the Gophers need to do to win this game? And I'm not a genius, but I said, here's what you need to do when you're playing your third game in three nights and your opponent's going to be fresher. You need to build a big early lead, and then you need to be prepared in the third period to hang on. Okay? <laughs> okay. What do the Gophers do? They go out and they build a 5-1 to one lead going into the third period, and then, oh boy, here come the Badgers. And not that the Gophers didn't work their butts off in the third period, but at some point, there's nothing left in the tank. You know, you just have to hold on. Sure. Uh, Badgers get two. It's 5-3. to three. Motzko calls a timeout, calms him down. And again, Bob Motzko has her Brooks old job. What does he say to him at that point? Play your game. Play your game. Don't panic just because you're up by a goal on the Soviet Union with 10 minutes to go. Play your game. Do right. what got you here. And, 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 and by the way, Wisconsin also wears red. So there, there, there's all kinds of correlations there. So they play their game. Now, Cole Caulfield, who's going to win the Hobie Baker Award, does what Cole Caulfield does. He gets a goal to make it 5-4. They don't get any closer. The Gophers hang on. They win 6-4. So they're going to be a number one seed. I, I think that's pretty 
pretty solid. I think the four number one seeds are pretty well set. They're going to be North Dakota, Boston College, Minnesota State, Mankato, and the Gophers. Those are going to be your four number one seeds. The question that's going to be answered on Sunday that everybody wants to know is where do you go and, and who are you going to play? Now, I asked Bob Motzko this after the game. I said, where do you, do you think you're a solid number one seed and where do you think you'll go? And his answer was straight up, whatever. I don't care. I learned a long time ago not to worry about it. Send us wherever you want to send us. Tell us who we're going to play. We'll be ready. Sure. I mean, you know, I love the idea that coaches don't get wrapped up in that. We've had other coaches that, you know, have a chart on their wall with the, you know, the strings tying everything together, trying to know exactly what regional they're going to be playing in at what time and what color jerseys they're going to, they're going to wear. And Bob Motzko is confident enough in his team where he says, send us wherever you want to send us. Tell us who we're going to play. We'll, we'll be there. Interesting. So where, where do you put his team then as far as chances? And if you, if you were to handicap the field, how difficult is this field going to be, do you think? This is going to be a tough field. And, and the other thing that's goofy this year, okay, keep in mind, in a normal year, in a non-pandemic year, we go by what's called the pairwise system. It's a, it's a complicated computer system. It's, it's right up there with quarterback rankings. No one will ever understand how it works, but, but somehow it works, okay? It's an algorithm that they take everything into account, and that pretty much picks the 16-team NCAA field. Sure. You know, there are a couple of automatic bids for the Atlantic Hockey Champion and the ECAC Champion. They get in. So basically, you know the 14 teams that are going to get in through the pairwise system in a normal year. Now, the big thing the pairwise does is it comp- it calculates how conferences compare to one another, how, you know, this team did in a game versus this conference and vice versa. This season, hardly anybody has played non-conference games. Everything has pretty much just been within your own conference. So you have to throw the pairwise system out. It's not going to work this year. So what we're doing is we're going back to the classic smoke-filled room, you know, the, where yeah, you get this isn't good. Six, eight guys together, you get a selection committee together, and they hammer out, here's the 16 teams that are going to get in. Here are the teams that aren't. Sorry. You know, yes, it's going to be controversial. I talked to Mike Kemp, who's the chair of that committee, and he said, I know this is probably a big ask, but if there's ever a year where you grant these people a little bit of grace, this might be the year. And I thought, yep, good luck. That's because. Yeah, that's not your. That, yeah, no. This is the, if you're going to do it this way, then you, you get no grace. And this is this is what we're seeing now. The conference tournaments have been going on. You know, a, a team gets beat in the first round. Let's take Notre Dame as an example. They're hosting the Big Ten tournament. They're up 2 nothing three minutes into the game against Penn State. They wind up losing by three goals or something like that. Notre Dame is a bubble team. They've got a lousy home record, but they did stuff like they went to Minneapolis and they won two games against the Gophers. So they have done some really good stuff. Here's what you get. You get the post-game press conference where it's like Joe Biden making his final case to the voters. These coaches are standing up. They've got the talking points about how many overtime losses they had and how many quality losses they had. And I, honest to God, it's just they're begging basically the committee that this is why you know, <laughs> this is why we should get in and this is why Denver and Omaha should be left out. I mean, they're, they're naming names. It, it has become that desperate this year. Oh, so, God, that's great. You would much rather be the Gophers at this point where you know you're in the tournament because you won the Big Ten. That's an auto bid. You're, you're good. Don't, don't, don't worry about anything else. Last thing, if you were a pro, <laughs> a pro team, in fact, I'll give you a choice of two teams. If you were the Wild or the Montreal Canadiens, would you want Matthew Boldy or Cole Caulfield as your player? I think you would want Matthew Boldy. I love Cole Caulfield. I just, the fact that he's 5'6 scares me, you know, and how he's going to hold up. And granted, We've seen 
some diminutive players that have greatly excelled at the NHL level. I think of uh, Brian Gianta, for example. I think of I think of uh, you know draw. Jared Spur- Yeah, you know guys like that yeah. that have excelled at that level. Uh, you know the flip side of it is you have a Jackson Nelson who plays for the Gophers who's six five, and it seems like everybody every time he hits somebody, he's getting a five minute major penalty. And I you know I've told teammates of his tell him not to change his game because he it's not his fault he's six five. Now the flip side of that is Cole Coffee. Now here's what I'll say about him: he's a great skater which is what you absolutely have to do to make it as an NHLer if you don't have size. And the other thing, and Bob Motzko said this the other night after Cole Caulfield scores on a seeing eye shot to make it 5-4. Bob Motzko says he has 28 goals. He probably has 50 pipes this year. He has never seen a player who's able to place the puck like Cole Caulfield does. So he has a very unique skill, but I think for a long-term NHL career, I think Matthew Boldy is going to be a a better long-term player because he's got a little bit more size, and I like the grit that he has in his game. And congratulations to Matthew Boldy, by the way. He's also a top-10 finalist for the Hobie Baker Award, alongside Caulfield, who I'm absolutely convinced is going to win it, alongside Jack LaFontaine, the Gophers goalie. I mean, you know, it's a good field this year, but it's Caulfield's trophy. Great stuff, Jess. Thank you. Always great to talk hockey. Talk to you later. Okay, and that's Jess Myers from The Rink Live. Check him out for news. And also on Twitter, Jess R. Myers, J-E-S-S-R Myers, M-Y-E-R-S. We'll talk to you later on Judd's Hockey Show.